Totally Football Show. Like to sound clever about the Champions League draw but haven't watched much European football? Then do we have a podcast for you as Totally Football Show's continental experts bring their hot takes on UEFA's warm balls. Plus, we've got the latest league news from all around the continent. The Classico, Rino Gattuso start at Napoli, Erling Haaland in his future, Jules on the scooter and Italian football's latest racism own goal. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, thanks for joining us today. Got a classic lineup for you. Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Raphael Honigstein. James Horncastle. Good day to you, James. And Jules phoning in. So classic, as I say. Jules, are you there? I am there. Hi, Jimbo. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Jules. And nice to speak to you there in, in Paris. Were you there covering the draw? I was indeed, yes. Mm. Well, we'll talk about that in a second or two. Uh, let's just quickly get the headlines from around the major European leagues. Hey, starting off with Ligue 1, what, what, what's the big news from the weekend? The big news, unfortunately, is bad news, James, for Lyon, who lost uh, two of their best players, especially one, at the weekend in their game against Rennes. One they lost uh, on Sunday afternoon at home as well, but then they lost Memphis Depay to a knee, uh, ACL knee injury and also Jeff Renadelaï, the, the French under-21 midfielder. So their captain and maybe one of their most creative players both are for the rest of the season, which is really, really tough to take for the club. Leon, have drawn Juventus in the Champions League draw. James, what's the latest from Italy where you've gone back on top? They have. Uh, we saw them play with Paolo Dybala, Gonzalo Higuain and Cristiano Ronaldo from the start for the first time. We've also seen Claudio Ranieri the undisputed, undefeated king of the derby um, in Syria. It was Milan's 120th birthday. And uh, got a little update on Ibra. Where's he going or where is he not going? Ooh, you tease. Alvaro, the Classico awaits us on Wednesday. What else? Yeah, it's coming up. And uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are tight on points uh, when it comes to facing that game. Uh, the question is whether that game is going to be played or not under uh, safe conditions because... Uh, there have been some calls summoning Catalan independentists to boycott El Clásico, so that's something that we'll talk about later. And uh, also happened something unprecedented in Spanish football this weekend, which is, uh, for the first time in history, a game was cancelled uh, after the halftime uh, because a player uh, was getting abused. And uh, he wasn't getting abused uh, uh, racially, he wasn't getting any homophobic insults. He was being abused for his political views. Mm. Or the ones that people thought he had. Crazy story. We'll get to that later on. Rafa, what's big news in the Bundesliga? Well, big news in the Bundesliga is that Leipzig have now taken over the uh, top of the table. Another really convincing performance from them um, at the weekend. 3-0 away to Fortuna. Werner scoring again this time from the penalty box. And a slip-up from, from Gladbach, who'd been going so well, but they went down 2-1 at Wolfsburg. And also, um, one of the all-time ugly goalkeeping fouls, Ooh. very much in the uh, Harald-Tony Schumacher mould yeah. of goalkeeping. Um, as, as Nick Miller in the office said, like Schumacher plus de Jong. That sums it up quite well, Schumacher plus de Jong. Um, it was Alexander Nubel, the Schalke keeper, who right. really took out um, he had Gasinovic of Frankfurt and Gasinovic has a few rips that uh, need mending. I don't think they were broken, but they were severely bruised and he had to go to hospital. The replay from behind the player who's getting taken out is you, you find yourself recoiling away from the screen while watching it. It's very violent. Parental guidance advised. And Nubel, I think, as shocked as everybody else is by just how badly he misjudged the situation, has apologised both in person and in public 
and I think he's generally uh, remorseful about uh, going in in this manner, and uh, it'll be a lesson for him. He's he's the guy, incidentally, who's widely seen as the heir apparent to Manuel Neuer, perhaps at Bayern, perhaps at uh, at Schalke, but he's probably not going to stay. He has a lot of people going after him and maybe still has a bit of growing to do before he can secure that big move. Right. Won't be winning James any Nobel Peace Prizes. Nice. Nice. Nicely done. Like it. All right. <laughs> Judge the mood nicely there. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, let's get started with the Champions League draw. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday in Neon, UEFA unleashed the draw for the last 16 of the Champions League and the last 32 of the Europa League. Jules, you're still there? I am indeed. Excellent. All right. Well, let's get some uh, let's get some thoughts on the pairings for the Champions League now. Europa League perhaps later on. Borussia Dortmund drawing PSG. You got Real Madrid against Manchester City. Atalanta against Valencia, Atletico Madrid taking on Liverpool, Chelsea faced Bayern Munich, Lyon have Juventus, Spurs get RB Leipzig and Napoli, with their new manager Gennaro Gattuso, take on Barcelona. Arsenal 14 forever, 23. Ask, is this the best draw ever? Well, not if you're Portuguese, Greek, Dutch or any other any other number of, uh, of, of nationalities. It's not, but there are some pretty tasty lineups there. What What grabs your eye out of that lot? I think probably PSG against Dortmund. I mean, we saw with PSG as Jules will, will, will fill us in, playing all four of their superstars at the same time. And you see how quite open Dortmund games are as well. I think that, that should be an absolutely cracking fixture. Jules, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a very good one. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, obviously, going back to Dortmund, where things didn't ended that well for him over there. He'd be, a, I think, a, a special comeback. And for PSG, like James said, uh, they played in 4-2-4 formation against Saint-Étienne on Sunday night and he worked really well with Di Maria, Neymar, Mbappé and, and Icardi all on the pitch. Icardi, Neymar and Mbappé now. Every time they've started together a game, they've all scored in that game. It's, it's three now, especially since Neymar and Mbappé came back to full fitness. So it's going to be a very interesting game. The, the issue I always have is that the reality of today could be very different than the one on February 20th or something when the game will be played. But on paper, between Tuchel coming back to Germany and to Dortmund and this PSG attack against the Dortmund attack, I think it should be a very exciting game. PSG has been knocked out in the last 16 for what? The last three seasons? Indeed, and quite in spectacular fashion as well in two of the three uh, seasons too. So, I don't know, psychologically this could be a, a, an issue. They might, they might be still be scarred by what happened last year against United and obviously three years ago. As well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think... That's the game you're referring to, right? Sorry, which, the one? which one? <laughs> which, which one? <laughs> what about what about this Dortmund side, Rafa, who gave Barcelona a real go of it this, this year? They did. Um, I mean, Dortmund have this problem of not being able to defend, although in recent weeks, a change to a 3-5-2 formation and a, or 3-4-3 even, you could say, and a more pressing approach um, uh, and a more active way of, of hunting down the ball and, and trying to disrupt the opposition earlier has has actually made them look a lot better. Now the question is can they sustain it? Can they get their important injured players back? They've been strained a little bit by the fact that um, Axel Witzel is out. Uh, they will always threaten to score goals. It's the question is whether they have the stability that you really need for a knockout competition you recall last year what happened when they came up against Spurs 
Uh, they played really well at Wembley for large spells, certainly the first half, didn't score, and then completely folded, conceding really stupid goals. So I don't think it's it's a good draw for them necessarily. And I can tell you that uh, within the club, I spoke to someone today, they're really not very happy because they come up against Thomas Tuchel, who left Dortmund under a bit of a cloud, and chances are that he will win uh, this reunion match, which is not going to do much sort of for the for the mood amongst the board and and the supporters who still bear one or two grudges uh, against the German. How are Bayern Munich feeling about their getting Chelsea? They're feeling um, pretty good about themselves, actually. First of all, uh, it's the fact that it's London, which has been a happy hunting ground for Bayern in recent years. They won the treble there when they beat uh, Dortmund at Wembley. And uh, the other fact that I like about this draw is that Chelsea play a very active game. They try to go for it. They try to press once you play through that pressing, as other teams in the Premier League have have found, and indeed in the Champions League. There is then a lot of space to create chances, and Chelsea have been a little bit leaky when it comes to to conceding these opportunities in a team like Bayern uh, with Lewandowski, Coutinho, Coman, Gnabry, Perisic, Müller. You know, they have a pretty deep and varied uh, front line, which could take advantage. Bayern, who had the best group stage in Champions League history. Six wins out of six, goal difference of plus 19. And this weekend had a 6-1 win over Werder Bremen, which we'll talk about later on. But Coutinho in extraordinary uh, form. All right, Jules, what what do you think about Leon's chances? You mentioned Memphis Depay being injured, but uh, the draw against Juventus is going to be a tough one for Rudy Garcia's side. Yes, I think you're right. It's probably one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, draw they could have they could have got. Uh, I think it's mission completely impossible, especially without Memphis. Even if they, they sign one or two players, maybe three, that's what they want in, in January. I think the gap, even with Memphis, would have been too big against Juve. So without Memphis, I think it'd be even worse. They, I don't think there's any hope, especially with the second leg in Italy. I think they, they, you know, they go there a bit like against Barcelona last season, where they got absolutely thrashed in the, in the second leg in, in Spain. Uh, and and try to do well at home in the in the first leg, but I, I think they, there is no way they can go through. Okay, Rafa Spurs against RB Leipzig. What kind of challenge awaits Jose Mourinho's side there? A tough one because Leipzig are the best uh, team defensively in the Bundesliga. Um, they were a little bit more open in the Champions League, but uh, domestically they've been pretty much flawless. Uh, they score lots of goals um, in in recent months. Uh, they've really started to click uh, that blend between the traditional um, high-energy pressing style, uh, transition style of Leipzig and a more possession, slower approach from, from Nagelsmann is really taking shape and uh, it's managed to bring out the best of what is a pretty talented uh, squad. Uh, they might not have sort of the biggest names in, in European football, but in Timo Werner, in Kunku, in Yusuf Paulsen, Forsberg, they have a lot of players who sort of at the threshold of, I think, really breaking through at this level. And this Champions League could be the breakthrough for both them individually as well as the club. They've never been in that position before. And I think they should be a little bit worried, Spurs, because uh, this is a game between equals, I think. Spurs have more pedigree, having finished in the Champions League uh, as runners-up last year. But if you look at the just the two teams and how they've been performing uh, this season... There isn't really much in there, and perhaps even Leipzig are the, are the better side uh, all round. And what could be interesting as well, another fact is that they might have another striker uh, lining up for them by the time these two games come around. Erling Haaland might play for Leipzig as well. It's between Dortmund and Leipzig, really, who's going to get him. Uh, that's certainly how those closest to him 
uh, think this race, in inverted commas, is, is panning out. Dortmund perhaps slightly ahead at this point, but Leipzig still believes they have a big chance because the people there have been instrumental in taking him over to Molde, from Molde to RB Salzburg, right. and you know the close ties between the two RBs. Ties. Yeah. Between them? Allegedly. Extraordinary. Uh, all right, four Liga sides, of course, in the draw. Real Madrid against Manchester City, Atletico Madrid against Liverpool, Napoli-Barcelona, <laughs> and Atalanta-Valencia. What about the Madrid sides, Alvaro? I believe that uh, the power is switching from La Liga to Premier League when it comes to European football. Last season, it was proven there were two English champions in the Europa League and in the Champions League. And... Uh, Obviously, that wasn't very well accepted in Spain because Spain dominated the last decade with uh, six Champions League winners and uh, five Europa League winners. So I think that these games could be the confirmation that Premier League definitely has the upper hand uh, going into the new decade. I mean, Atletico de Madrid-Liverpool, five, six years ago, Atletico would have been the overwhelming favourite. At the minute, Liverpool was the opponent that everyone wanted to avoid. And I think that... As much as Liverpool is the favourite, if any club can stop the storm of Liverpool and the way they attack and they cannot stop just going for you, it's Atletico de Madrid mm. because they are very tactical. So I think that this game is going to be really interesting because Atletico de Madrid will get back some key players like Savic and Diego Costa for the February ties. And at the same time, Nobody denies that Liverpool is the favourite for this. And then the other game is very interesting because Real Madrid and Manchester City, they've got uh, a lot of past uh, over the last decade. In fact, they played the Champions League semi-finals in 2016 and Manchester City has changed a lot ever since. Mm. I mean, only five players from the 18 that made the Manchester City squad for those semi-finals remain in the club. The manager has changed. He's no longer Pellegrini. He's Guardiola. And Guardiola is... Uh, very disliked figure among uh, many Real Madrid fans, or if not disliked, he is very feared because with right. Barcelona he instilled a lot of, uh, well, he provoked a lot of Real Madrid defeats in a terrible fashion for them, like a 6 2 at the Santiago Bernabeu, a 2 0 in the Champions League semi final. So probably Real Madrid and, and Manchester City they are quite tight for this game because Manchester City is not the team they were in 2019 in May when they won the title. And Real Madrid is getting better than a year ago. Little by little, they are uh, getting back to a really good level. And uh, I think that this uh, game is going to be quite tight. I, I find it impossible to say who is the favourite, either Real Madrid or Manchester City. But when it comes to Liverpool and Atletico de Madrid, I think that Liverpool has the upper hand. I think I might suggest Barcelona might have the upper hand against Napoli, James. Gennaro Cattuso only with his, his one game in charge so far, but it didn't go particularly well. Yeah, but this happens when Gattuso takes over. Remember when he replaced Vincenzo Montella at Milan and they played Benevento, who were literally pointless at the time, and they couldn't beat them because the goalkeeper scored against them in stoppage time. And more or less the same happened at the weekend against Parma. We'll probably get to that um, in the City Hour roundup. But yes, at the moment, it feels like it always rains on the wet, James. Right, that just like things just classic Italian idiom there. Can't get any worse for, 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 for Napoli in that... Um, they're on this terrible winless run, at least in the league, and now they get drawn with Barcelona, which is probably the worst opponent that they could have got. So right. it just feels that they've yeah, some, provoked some bad karma somewhere, right. um, and it's it's not going to break. Think how Valencia must feel. They've only gone and drawn Atalanta. Yeah, but think there's how no Atalanta way, feel. There's no way Atalanta are getting through to the quarterfinals. Am I right, James? <laughs> My favourite thing was uh, Pitkasi, the owner. Um, he was in Neon and he was interviewed after the draw and he said, 
After our 4-0 defeat to Dinamo Zagreb, only a madman would have predicted that we would have got <laughs> through the groups. <laughs> well, yeah, and they made it through with just seven points. They did. But they, it doesn't matter how many points you put up. All that matters is you finish, you know, first or second. Yeah. They did. Wonderful scenes. Uh, Martin Darun had uh, tweeted saying, I don't think anyone's going to be there when we, we get in at what, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> back in Bergamo, with 3,000 fans. It was jumping. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. In all fairness, I think that we owe something to James because he was the first one uh, who said that Atalanta was going to qualify. Right. And uh, I think that we... <laughs> We said something like we have to pay him dinner. Or Thank you, like Alvaro. That. Thank you. Alvaro, we yeah. literally didn't say that. He said he would get everyone lunch. <laughs> if, if, if they didn't go it through. It was a one-sided bet. That's why we took it. I, I it's a lovely gesture from Alvaro. some point, some kind of <laughs> Look, gesture will be he, made. He believed on Atalanta Bird. and I didn't believe on Valencia but, at all. Yeah. And uh, they are playing now in the Champions League last, last 16. And right. uh, regarding the Napoli-Barcelona, uh-huh. this is the Maradona game. Of course. We shouldn't forget. Uh, yeah. There are no precedents between Napoli and Barcelona. They have never played each other yeah. in the Champions League. If only there was no precedent at Napoli, they'd be, <laughs> they'd be in a slightly better position. Sorry, <laughs> This Rafa. tie is also known as the, uh, we would like to play them in the quarterfinals. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? The uh, Valencia-Atlanta one? Yeah. yeah, well, we'll see, Rafa. We'll see how much... People would like to play Atalanta. People have written them off before. Yeah. But uh, in terms of free lunch, I think James has already been dining out on that particular <laughs> prediction. <laughs> Once or while. twice. On, on, on Napoli-Barcelona, it's the first time Messi uh, will play at the Stadio San Paolo. Um, and also Ernesto Valverde, who gets quite a lot of criticism, bad rep. Mm. He has already faced Napoli in the Champions League or as a kind of the appetizer to the Champions League in the preliminary stages, the playoffs, and he knocked them out with Alvaro's beloved Athletic. There you go. There you go. Barcelona, before any of that, have a big game coming up this Wednesday. It's El Clasico. We're going to get onto that after this. Jose Mourinho here. Let me tell you a thing or two about special. An 18-year career at the top of football management, that's special. League titles in every country I've worked, that's special. What isn't special is winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games. That's right, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. No respect. Get over it. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. La Radio Española Cadena Ser ha filtrado que el Comité de Competición de la Federación Española suspendió el clásico entre el Barcelona y el Real Madrid. Political unrest, Alvaro, of the kind that disrupted La Liga's plans to hold el clásico back in, when was it, October? 26th of October. Of October, right. But it's going to happen this Wednesday, right? Should happen this Wednesday. Barcelona against Real Madrid. Barcelona, who are unbeaten in the previous six meetings, four wins in those six, four, four meetings last season, uh, when they were uh, pretty convincingly the better side, they scored nine and uh, conceded just two against Real Madrid. Now, coming into this one, they're both uh, fresh from draws at the weekend. Yes. A bit of controversy there, Alvaro. A bit of controversy, especially for Barcelona, obviously, because they managed to get a draw against Real Sociedad. It was a two-all draw in a game that uh, Martin Odegaard uh, showed the world again that he's ready for a, to play for a big club. Mm. And uh, the problem with this game was that uh, the first goal of Real Sociedad came after a very, very 
strict penalty that the referee gave uh, when uh, Sergio Busquets just grabbed uh, Llorente in a corner kick a little bit. It's the kind of soft penalty that the referees normally don't call. But Oyarzabal scored that penalty. Real Sociedad scored one of the goals as a result of that action. And then uh, when the game was uh, two all draw, uh, pretty much at the end of it, uh, Gerard Pique mm, was uh, grabbed by Llorente uh, by the shirt in an attacking action of Barcelona, and the referee did decide not to call anything. So this prompted uh, an angry exchange of Barcelona players with the referee. Then at the end of the game, uh, Sergio Busquets said that if you push the crossbar as low as in the first penalty that was given to Real Sociedad, you have to call every single penalty in right. the box. Yes, and uh, Barcelona president uh, Bartomeu, it is said that uh, he is going to send a letter to the Spanish FA president, nice. Luis Rubiales, right. because he wants to ask for a more active and proactive action from the VAR officials okay. because he thinks or he says yes. that uh, obviously the referees maybe cannot see something when it happens in the game uh -huh. but the VAR should call the referee to review one action right. so this happens before El Clásico which is in a way trying to influence the referees ahead of a very key game in La Liga absolutely he's worried about decisions not happening quickly enough so he's sending them a letter uh, interesting policy uh, <laughs> Real Madrid though blew their chance to take a two point lead because they only drew 1-1 away at Valencia. They drew 1-0 against Valencia, but Valencia is a very good team. This result is uh, not uh, a flop from Real Madrid in any sort of level. Uh, Valencia have completed an excellent week. They managed to beat Ajax at mm. Amsterdam. And uh, it was uh, Valencia who scored first after a very good first half of Real Madrid, uh, we have to say. Valencia scores first, uh, Carlos Soler scored a goal for Valencia. And then when, uh, in the aggregate time of the second half, uh, when Real Madrid was losing 1-0, Thibaut Courtois decided to, to go for a corner kick. And uh, normally goalkeepers... Uh, they don't get marked because uh, there is no system about uh, or any planification about who should mark the goalkeeper. Thibaut Courtois was pretty much alone in the penalty spot. He managed to head the ball in a corner kick in the 95th minute. The goalkeeper uh, couldn't hold the ball and then Karim Benzema scored the equalizer. La pone creer buen balón arriba, Courtois remata. Yaume, Courtois chuta, gol, gol, gol de Benzema. Gol, 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 gol de Benzema. They celebrated the, the goal in incredible fashion. Uh, probably the, the best image was Fede Valverde, the young Uruguayan, just punching the floor, which has earned plenty of plaudits uh, from Real Madrid uh, supporters because they like this kind of attitude and this kind mm. of players who are that committed. And thinking of El Clásico, this is, as I said before, a very important result for Real Madrid because both of the teams, Barcelona and Real Madrid, get to this game with 35 points. Yeah, no, I absolutely level. What do you think is going to happen then, Wednesday night? Well, I believe that uh, Real Madrid is going to play very differently uh, to the way they played against Valencia uh, because Casemiro is going to be played. Uh, let's don't forget that he wasn't rested against Valencia because he, could, uh, he was one yellow card away from missing El Clásico and Zinedine Zidane thinks that uh, Casemiro is a key player. I don't think that Real Madrid is going to play with three players up front, but with four midfielders, being Casemiro, Valverde, Modric and Cross. And up front, uh, Gareth Bale seems to be the guy, the guy who will be playing with Benzema. Against Valencia, Gareth Bale played just the second half. Um, he didn't play much uh, during the week time uh, in the Champions League. And it seems that Real Madrid is going to play with the 4-4-2, probably a bit less proactive than in the first half against Valencia, against a Barcelona team that probably um, will be very similar, if not exact the same, 11 players that they played against Real Sociedad. Uh, 
we know that uh, Dembele is out uh, because he, he has an injury, but Barcelona has no fresh concerns, uh, injury concerns. And uh, Real Madrid may recover for this game uh, Ferland Mendy if Zinedine uh, Zidane thinks that he wants to play the French back uh, as a left back. Marcelo cannot play that game. Uh, he is still injured. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eden Hazard is not going to play that game either. So the left flank of Real Madrid is going to be um, probably very badly affected because Marcelo and Eden Hazard are not there. And that is pretty much where Lionel Messi played. So I can envisage uh, a lot of action on the right wing of Barcelona with Lionel Messi knowing that uh, Real Madrid doesn't have their main starters playing on the left. Interesting. What time is that happening Wednesday night? The game is at 7pm UK time. Okay. One more thing about the Clásico. Um, Tsunami Democratic is a platform that actually Guardiola used to send a political message from. Uh, have organized uh, a march and a rally around the Camp Nou four hours before the kickoff to demonstrate in the four streets that give access to the Camp Nou. So basically, Tsunami Democratic wants to close the access to the Camp Nou so the buses with Barcelona and Real Madrid players cannot access to the, to the ground. Well, it is expected that... 18,000 to 23,000 protesters will manifest against El Clásico and against the exclusion and not having uh, self-determination uh, of Catalonia. And uh, the Real Madrid and Barcelona clubs have decided to tackle this to access the Camp Nou together four hours before the game. Okay. So the Real Madrid and Barcelona bus will go together to the, to the stadium. What is the point of this or the purpose? Well, uh, the Real Madrid bus not to get vandalized, which mm -hmm. is very important as well. And uh, they are expecting that if Barcelona goes with Real Madrid to the ground, that will soften a little bit the very angry environment that will be found uh, in the access to Camp Nou. OK, best of luck with that one. None of the top three winning in La Liga this weekend because uh, Julian Lopetegui's uh, Sevilla were beaten at home 2-1 by Villarreal. You mentioned as well that extraordinary story down in the second tier where Rayo Vallecano and uh, Albacete were, were suspended, the clash between them. Explain to us the, the circumstances here. Yeah, it's, it all goes back to 2017 uh, when uh, Rayo Vallecano decided to get on loan a player from Betis called Sosulia. That happened in January 2017 in the winter transfer window. Well, a month later, Sosulia left Rayo Vallecano because the ultras didn't want him there. Right. Uh, basically, Sosulia posted in his social media profiles uh, before he was signed on loan by Rayo Vallecano some pictures with some Nazi iconography in the background, and also... Well, he says it's not Nazi iconography. He says that it's basically the Ukraine coat of arms, and he's a staunch supporter of the Ukraine military in, in their reaction to the, the Russian invasion. Yeah, that's that's the, the other thing that uh, is needed to be said. I mean, that Nazi iconography is quite dubious because uh, basically he, he's got a picture with the uh, number 18 in uh -huh. it, and 18 is supposed to be the... The letters standing for the initials of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, AH. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, also because uh, he was part of one far-right uh, pro-Ukraine militia. Yeah, mm -hmm. militia. So those were the accusations by Rayo Vallecano Ultras, who are, by the way, communist or right. far-left. Uh -huh. And they didn't want that player at Rayo Vallecano. So at the time, Zozulia didn't even play a single minute for them in 2017. Well, Zozulia left Rayo Vallecano, obviously. He never played a single minute for them. And two years later, you fast forward and he plays for Albacete. Mm -hmm. And Albacete played this weekend against Rayo Vallecano in Vallecas in Madrid. Vallecas is one of the working class neighborhoods of Madrid and uh, they got plenty of tights with the left. Sosulia started that game. Mm, he got uh, allegedly, and uh, from what I have seen, plenty of abuse from mm. the stands. Uh, he was insulted. And uh, 
after the halftime, Albacete players and Susulia decided not to go back to the pitch. So it was the first time that uh, a group of players and a team decided not to go back to the pitch. There has been many reasons for clubs in the past not to go back to the pitch, starting by homophobic chants, starting by racist uh, remarks by supporters, but teams never stopped playing. But this time, Albacete decided to. Well, after talking to the referee, they suspended the game, and in the La Liga statement, after all this uh, very unpleasant Sunday, it was saying that uh, the player was insulted and was threatened as well. So, obviously, now you have to see if Nazi is an insult or a description for a player like Sosulia. Sosulia right. says that he is not a Nazi. And uh, the other part is being threatened. If the player is threatened, then the Albacete players are absolutely right to take the side for uh, their teammate and not go back to the right. pitch. So as it stands, the Liga hasn't decided yet what to do about the game, whether to rehold it or award the, the points on uh, Tavellino or however you say. There is a second, a second half to play. Right. Um, that second half will be played possibly within closed doors. Uh-huh. And if uh, not even with the closed doors, uh, the safety of the player can be guaranteed, then it, w- it will be played in a neutral venue. And uh, Rayo Vallecano president, uh, after the game, was talking to, to media as well. He's got uh, problems with the Rayo Vallecano Ultras to start with. It's important to say this. But he was supportive of Albacete and he was supportive of Zozulia, saying that what he was heard during the game was unacceptable. And in all fairness, uh, from the Rayo Vallecano stance, the club sent a few messages during the first half just to stop the abuse on Zozulia and the insults on him. So the story has obviously many ideological implications because in this case uh, again has been stopped uh, because there were insults on a player who is supposed to be a far right supporter mm-hmm. and uh, to be honest with you I think that Albacete players did the right thing just uh, being supportive of their teammate Interesting situation though that they find themselves in particularly because he denies that he is in any way affiliated with these organisations mm-hmm. as you say that the, the pictures could lead to other interpretations Very good Alright then after this Let's catch up with League Uh, We've got Jules back on the line. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. We're joined again by Jules, everybody. Jules, where are you? I'm still in Paris on the electric scooter to go to Garden Hall. There's a strike here. You know, there's no tube, no taxis, traffic is mental. So electric scooter is the best way to go from where I am, Boulevard Murat in the 16th arrondissement to the station. Do not do this at home, kids, or indeed in the streets. Right. Well, I'm glad you're using hands-free um, and uh, can thus tell us all about uh, the weekend in Liga. Who did PSG pump this weekend? They pumped Saint-Étienne on Sunday night. Uh, they played really well and everybody was just waiting for the four Fantastics to play together and see how that would go. Uh, Neymar, Di Maria, Mbappé and Icardi together. They played a 4-4 formation with, with that front four, basically, and... It went really well. I mean, Saint-Étienne got a red card after 25 minutes, so that helped. But I think physically, collectively, the way they played, uh, the way they defended when they lost the ball as well to try to get the ball back quickly. We even saw Neymar defending, putting quite a lot of effort in. So I think overall, it was it was quite a good experiment from Tuchel. Maybe one that he will try again, maybe not in the top, top games because he still leaves the team quite unbalanced. But Paredes and, and they played quite well in midfield with, with Marquinhos for, for an hour. Uh, so it was it was a very positive 
uh, first time of the, the four starting together. Jules, you mentioned Leon losing to Rennes, losing Memphis to Pie for the rest of the season. Rennes go from uh, the extraordinary Eduardo Camavinga, who's who just gets better and better. Yeah, seventeen, James. Sorry, and who just seeing developing like that every weekend and see every time how better he gets step by step. It's quite incredible, and he's only seventeen, like we said. He was. It was very good, I thought, against Lazio in uh, in the Europa League. Although Lazio, I don't know how much they were motivated for that game, but still, it was it was really good. And that game on on Sunday, where he, he ran the game again and scored a, a great winner as well for him in the last minute, was quite impressive. Uh, Renato Sanchez, remember him? He's uh, he's flying along and uh, was the key man in Lille's two-one victory over Montpellier on Friday. Good He scored one of the goals of the season already. I mean, he was incredible. He did things with the ball that even in his Benfica years, when he was very good before going to Bayern, and even with Portugal at the Euros, that you'd never seen him doing on the ball, the skills, the, the balance he had, the pace as well on the ball was quite quite incredible. And I think even people at Lille were surprised. Christophe Galtier and Luis Campos, you know, the people who signed him, who were hoping that he would get back to his best level, but maybe not. That quickly and maybe not to that kind of level. It will need to confirm that you know they can do that week in and week out. But he's been quite good the last three games when he started on Friday night. He was against Montpellier. He was very very good. Okay, Lille in third place behind Marseille, whose six-game winning streak came to an end with a one-one draw at Metz. That means that Paris Saint-Germain are back to seven points clear, Jules, breathing a bit more easily. Yeah. Yeah, and the game in hand against uh, Monaco to be played on January the 15th as well. So, mm. I mean, they could win the league, really, I think. Zweieinhalb Minuten vor Ablauf der Nachspielzeit. Weiter Einwurf in den Strafraum. Kopfballverlängerung der Gladbacher. Der Ball am Elfmeterpunkt. Schuss aus der Distanz. Tor! Und es ist Maximilian Arnold mit links ins Tor. All right, Rafa Mönchengladbach off top spot. For the first time since match day seven. Yikes. And they got knocked out of the Europa League as well by Basak Shahir. A great timing for a big appreciative article about just how well they're doing and uh, the wonders of, of Marco Rosa. But all of these things, of course, are still true regardless of those two results because mm. in the context of... They won the argument, they just didn't win the game. That is precisely the point. Um, no, but in the context of, of the season that they're having, you know, getting knocked off their perch, as it were, from first to second should not be seen as a, as a real setback. They're still miles ahead of their own expectations and there's no suggestion, I think, to see them crumble or, or somehow fall by the wayside. Um, but it was, of course, disappointing, uh, both these results. A lot of people, though, have made the point, which is perhaps a, a banal and trivial one, but maybe one worth making nonetheless, that not being involved in Europa League might actually play into the hands because everybody else is uh, among the, the runners and riders with the exception of Schalke who also I think have benefited uh, to a certain extent from being a little bit fresher, a little bit rested uh, not having to rotate and going really, really strong right. under David Wagner. But they might they might get back up on top Gladback, as soon as this Wednesday night because they're taking on bottom of the table Paderborn while Leipzig, who are currently two points clear go up against uh, Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, that's the big one. And it's the that's game. Tuesday. Yeah, that's Tuesday um, tonight. And it's the big game because, well, 
I mean, for many reasons, uh, points-wise, uh, there's a real dislike, certainly from Dortmund fans and, and the club, I think, on the whole, towards Leipzig. A few years ago, they uh, even refused to show the Leipzig logo on the Dortmund um, official club's webpage when they came up against each other. So uh, no love lost at all. And, of course, the sort of game that really will test this recent sentiment that Dortmund have turned things around by changing tactics we talked about already, by having a slightly different attitude and by maybe Favre listening and making some concessions from his game which can be a little bit too aesthetic and too theoretical and sort of doesn't really, I think, sometimes take into account the the everyday uh, sort of humdrum and needs of a team like Dortmund. So... A big test for him and a big test for the credentials of Leipzig, who I think now are being seen as probably the likeliest of of challengers, despite everything we said about... Challengers to who? To Bayern. Um, everything we have said um, about those other sides, I think Leipzig seem to have the most balance. Right. So Bayern are still seen as the main contenders, are they? Even though they're six points off the top? I think so, yeah. I think wow. so because because it's Bayern, because they, they're expected to to win most of the games. They had another really strong performance, albeit against a very poor uh, Bremen side. Um, it really clicked for them up front. Coutinho had one of his best games. Extraordinary. Um, Lewandowski was, of course, on target as well. But they have this great support cast to find different ways of, of winning games, which is very encouraging. At the back, still a little bit dodgy at times, but overall, the sort of package that you still fear if you're the rest of the league, that think might actually come good again. So Leipzig, I think, having the ability to maybe um, manage games a little bit better than than all the others, uh, their credentials really be tested by this resurgent Dortmund side. That's why this is such a big game. Okay, Bayern, a 6-1 win over Werder Bremen and a hat-trick from Philippe Coutinho. Has he... I mean, amazing. Second goal, I think, in particular. No, that wonderful kind a of... A no-look chip. Right. Over the keeper. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty and good. the height on it was remarkable. Um, but has he kind of won the battle with Thomas Muller in terms of starting places? It's a bit different now. I mean, in, under Kovac initially, it was one or the other. And now um, they often find themselves on the same pitch, uh, continue playing on the left as he did at Liverpool and then right. drifting in in possession. Uh, this time, Muller didn't start. But uh, it's been a rotating policy, which is one of the reasons why everyone's pretty happy. Under Kovac, he was accused of, of rotating too much early on in his uh, uh, his stint at Bayern. Then he didn't rotate enough for the uh, taste of some of the players. And I think now Flick seems to have a, found a happy medium and the players look a lot happier and, and are, I think, playing really with each other, which is one of the big notable differences. Brilliant. Dortmund go into that clash Tuesday night with Leipzig fresh from a 4-0 win over Mainz in the Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Derby, Jaden Sancho scoring for his sixth game in a row. In fourth place currently in the Bundesliga are Schalke. You mentioned the remarkable challenge by Alexander Nubel. I wouldn't uh, call it a challenge. I think it was assault. more of an assault. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrew Rothery uh, writing in with a general point about them. As a Huddersfield Town fan, I'd love to know what Rafa thinks of the job David Wagner is doing at Schalke. Oh, he's doing an amazing job and even the people inside the club just did not think it was possible. They were all 
hoping for a sort of consolidation season and the upper half of the table, you know, seventh, eight, ninth, those kind of positions. But the fact that they're in the conversation and indeed in, in with a real chance of making a top four is is real testament to his work because they weren't able to buy big. They weren't able to spend significant sums of money to uh, really strengthen. And this was a team and still is a team, perhaps a little bit low on creativity, low on depth. But he's managed to get players who were underperforming and somehow turn it around. So both collectively uh, in, in the way that they, they press and move together and, and really get a lot out of what is still a pretty limited squad, but also in the way that he manages, I think, to motivate players to make them feel good, to help them perform. And a lot of the things that people say about him at Schalke are very familiar to those who have either worked with Jurgen Klopp or have intimate knowledge of of the way he did work um, at Mainz Dortmund and and, uh, and Liverpool. Uh, they, they say that he makes everybody feel valued, that he has a way of communicating complicated things in a simple, understandable uh, way, that he finds the right uh, approach in a dressing room. And it doesn't sound necessarily very innovative, but I think it's still pretty rare to have a manager to have all these things and have such an immediate impact at a team that were really lost and, let's not forget, fighting against relegation last season. So, tremendous uh, first half of the season and uh, it really bodes well for this big dream that Schalke have that they will get this manager that transformed the whole club and galvanised the club the way Klopp was able to do all those years ago. They've been looking um, and hopefully he could be the guy. Lovely scenes at uh, the Westfalen Stadion as they saw the place out sing. Christmas songs. Carols, yeah. Union Berlin not happy because Dortmund tweeted something like, have you ever seen this? It's the first time ever. I'm paraphrasing slightly. And of course, yeah. they have invented this. They came up with the concept first. But yeah, still, it's it's pretty cool. It looked amazing. It looked amazing. As did Hertha Berlin getting their first win under Klinsmann. They did. Uh, they beat Freiburg, which is in itself a pretty big achievement because Freiburg are tricky customers. You always underestimate them every single game, every single season. You think, surely they cannot uh, do this well. But uh, they pushed Hertha all the way. Could have had a result if the game had gone slightly differently. Um, as it is, of course, this win, the first uh, in three since Klinsmann took over, is seen as the uh, sort of the big, you know, starting shot. Right. You know, when you... Mm-hmm. Starter's pistol. Starter's pistol, Off they go. yeah. Off they go. Let's see if and they can follow that up. They've got Bayer Leverkusen away midweek. Well, and, and Klinsmann wouldn't be Klinsmann if he didn't uh, use his Monday uh, Facebook session with Hertha fans. Um, I think five of them did turn in. No, no, it's more than that. Um, to say that in the foreseeable future, he wants to challenge for the title. He That's wants nice. Hertha to challenge for in the title. In which division did he specify it <laughs> So cynical, James. All right. Hey, after this, let's hear about the challenge for the title in Syria. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Gervinho rientra Luperto. Gervinho per Kuluseski. Prende posizione Gervinho. Attenzione. Gervinho. Gervinho rete. Rete del Parma. In contropiede al 48esimo minuto. Syria. Many big stories this weekend, James, as every weekend. But amongst the biggest was Gennaro Gattuso taking over at Napoli from Carlo Ancelotti and beginning with a home match against Parma. So everything went well, I imagine, did it? <laughs> well, do you remember we mentioned the Benevento game earlier when he took over at Milan and he said it was like a stabbing. <laughs> this time, again, 
Gattuso likes hyperbole. He said this was a human tragedy. Right. Um, losing to not Palmer. Palmer. Well, not to Palmer. Uh, Palmer deserve credit. Um, they're in the Europa League hunt at the moment. That front two of Jovino and Patiki. Dejan Kulusevski, who's been the revelation of this season so far in Serie A, the teenage Swede. Um, but that first 10 minutes from Napoli, I think real evidence that it's going to take more than changing the manager to solve the problems because you're seeing players who have delivered in the past, players who are technically very proficient, gifted players, making schoolboy mistakes, which I think... Kulabeli, for example, on Kulusevski's opening goal... Well, I mean, even before that, Allen misplaces a pass which led to a counter-attack and then you, you, you mentioned Koulibaly, um, but Manolas goes for a header with Cornelius, doesn't get it and all of a sudden Kulusevski has a 1v1 with Koulibaly, which Koulibaly loses and he's quick mm. and he ends up tearing a muscle and having to go off. How, um, how long is he going to be out for, do you think? We don't know, James, because uh, I think he's having a medical check um, today. Napoli did get back into the game. I think one of the silver linings is that Arcadius Milik can't stop scoring. And that is one of the reasons why we saw Areli De Laurentiis come out last night and basically say that uh, any idea of Zlatan coming to Napoli is, um, well, it's unlikely now that Carlo Ancelotti's left and it's unlikely that we've actually changed system under Gattuso. Even though it's only one game, they're playing... With one striker up front, uh, Gattuso restored the the 4-3-3, but you could see towards the end of the game, they wanted to try and win the game. They wanted to end this run, which is the worst since the beginning of the century for Napoli. Um, And instead, they ended up conceding in stoppage time. And again, the mistakes, it's actually a Napoli corner. The goal comes from Zielinski slips. And again, you have to marvel at the composure of Kulusevski to basically wait, wait, and then give the ball to Jovino, who uh, who stuck the knife in. And uh, I think Palmer deserved to win. And, you know, Gattuso, after the game, saying, mentally, this team is not with it at the moment. And we've got a lot of work to do. And we mentioned the Barcelona game coming up in February. Obviously, there's a lot of time between then and now. There's a lot of time for them to get it right. And there's no doubt that they've got talent. But there's so many things going wrong at Napoli at the moment. You look at um, key players. Dries Mertens hasn't scored in the league since the end of September. His contract's up at the end of the year. He can sign for anyone um, pretty much from the end of this month. Um, that's got to weigh on his mind. The same goes for, for Jose Callejon as well. Um, and then there are other players, I think maybe five or six, whose contracts are up at the following season. This is usually the time again when you look to lock them down. So there's a real feeling that the team... Um, last year was in some respects still running on the kind of Sarri kind of mentality. You know, they, they were still very mindful of how good they'd been the season before. And maybe at the end of last season, that was a time for a generational change for them to transition from one team to another. And instead, they're stuck in the middle. And it looks like it's going to be a, a difficult job for Gattuso to turn around, although he did turn it around at Milan after a similarly bad start. Mm. so we'll, we'll, And then it got turned around again, but, you know, well, no, there were I mean, other issues. They, they got to a cup final. Um, they got into the Europa League. They ended up finishing just a point outside the Champions League places last year, which is why he's been rated so highly. It's why he's a George Mendes client now. It's why mm. Mendes recommended that he didn't take the Samp job, the Genoa job, and why he has been rewarded in some respects for waiting for a bigger job like this one to come around. Um, so... I think he needs time, but he probably needs more than that. He needs the club to actually do its job when it comes to putting together a team that is happy to be there and is functional. 
at the top of Serie A, it's all square again. Fiorentina held uh, Inter to a 1-1 draw with that stoppage time equaliser. Remarkable scenes in Wonderful. Florence. Mm. Uh, Inter, of course, out of the Champions League last week. They're going to be playing the Children of the Forest, Ludogorets, ah, in the Europa yes. League. How nice. <laughs> Juve, meanwhile, played all three up front, Dybala, Higuain and Ronaldo, and had a 3-1 win, but it was at home to Udinese, so, you know. And uh, Ronaldo got two, so that's great. Gigi Buffon equaling Alessandro Del Piero's club record of 478 appearances for Juventus. That's a lot. And he's now just one appearance away from matching Paolo Maldini in terms of all-time Serie A appearances. Nice. Um, you got a, an update on the Ibrahimovic situation. Well, I mean, Ibra seemed to be heading back to Italy. Mm. Um, and Milan in particular were the ones that I think he made it clear and certainly the briefings to Gazetta made it clear that that was always his preference. Um, but uh, they haven't been able to, at this moment in time to reach an agreement on duration of contract, wages. Um, and also, as Paolo Maldini was saying um, yesterday, that Zlatan, you're 38. You haven't played since October. Mm. Yeah, it would be good if we could come to some sort of compromise and the sooner the better because um, I know it better than anyone because I played into my 40s. You need time to get up to speed when you're at that age, when you haven't played that long. Right. And we need someone who can come in and make the difference from day one. We can't wait for someone for two or three months when we've only got five months left in the season. So the longer this drags on, right. the more unlikely it is that Zlatan will end up with Milan. And we've also seen Napoli rule themselves out. We've mm. seen Bologna rule themselves out. Although that was very much a kind of sentimental thing between Zlatan, who wanted to kind of do something for Sinisa Mihailovic mm. with everything that Mihailovic has been going through. But they've said, yeah, we've been told we're out of the running here, so we're pursuing someone else. Um, so at the moment, um, yeah, Serie A has gone from being very excited about having Zlatan back to contemplating the very real possibility that this is maybe not so likely anymore. Right, that sounds quite sensible, actually. Monday night, Cagliari taking on Lazio in what could be an absolute thriller. Lazio won their last seven in Serie A. Were they to make it eight in a row, they'll be just three points off the top of the table with no European commitments. We should also mention the Derby de la Lanterna, even mm. though it's more of a street fight than an actual <laughs> football match. Um, I think Alexander Nubel would have been welcome in the, in this game because we saw um, Christian Romero get away with actually um, clubbing Fabio Quagliarella with a, a right-hander. Uh, didn't even get booked, um, let alone did the, the VAR suggest that the ref might want to come over to the monitor and see it again. But Claudio Ranieri, I mentioned at the top of the show, undisputed king of, of the derby. He is only the second coach ever and the first Italian to have coached in all of the derbies in Italy, or, or the most prestigious, illustrious ones, Rome, right. Milan, Turin, and Genoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is Jesse Carver, um, back in the 50s, Englishman. But if you look at Ranieri's record in derbies, and it's extraordinary. Um, nine wins, one draw, no defeats, which is amazing. And you, you look at some of the, the derbies he's been involved in, the Rome one where he, le- he takes off De Rossi and Totti at half time and Romagon will win that one. In this one, he took off what Quagliarella and Gaston Ramirez and the guy who comes on, Gabbiadini, scores the only goal of the game and salute Claudio because you know a lot of people think, again, um, he's had his day 
but uh, he keeps giving us very, certainly the fans of his teams, some very good memories. Yeah, massive win for them as well, not just for Genovese pride, but also the fact that it uh, helps them a little bit in their relegation battle. Still just two points off the drop at the wrong end of Serie A. Before we leave Italian football, breaking news, James. Just when you thought the league could not screw up any more, James. Mm. They've just launched a new anti-racism initiative. And you, when you hear that, you think, great, fantastic. You're finally taking this seriously. Except then you see what the initiative is. And they have commissioned um, some artwork from an artist, Simone Fugazzotto, yeah. who he only focuses on, on monkeys. All of his art pieces are, in some respects, about monkeys. Um, but they have decided to commission some of his monkeys. And they said, no to racism. We are all the same. Right. Um, without... Yeah. Basically, it's, it's, it's simian faces with the club colours on. Club colours. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, and, and you, you wonder why. The intentions might be good, but there's no way that you could look at that and think, yeah, that can't be interpreted badly. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, again, just like, how can they not see that this is so misguided? Yeah. Um, it's, it's remarkable. And they wonder why. There's a select group of clubs in Italy who have zero faith in the league and are, are taking anti-racism into their own hands because they've got no faith that the league can do anything about this or is willing to do anything about this. And when you see how kind of tone-deaf and insensitive, you know, this is what they come up with mm. when it comes to sort of taking this issue seriously for the first time because they've been pretty damn negligent about it, um, particularly over the last year when it's got even worse. I mean, it beggars belief. I mean, I, I would... I mean... Surprised but not shocked right. is, you know, they find new inventive ways of shooting themselves in the foot. Right. And they can't see it's killing the league. It's absolutely killing the league. James Horncastle is angry and he's right to be. <laughs> All right. Uh, very shortly, we'll be picking out one or two of the 16 Europa League uh, matches coming up in the spring to be looking out for and answering a couple of questions as well. Right now, though, here's producer Ben getting some European odds from Paddy Bauer. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Here he is, Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. We'll talk some odds. Lee, we've been talking all about the Classico today. Real and Barcelona, who's going to come out victorious in this one? Well, if it's on, of course. On the face of it, this one should be priced pretty tightly, but our traders are confident. Barcelona at home are the odds-on favourites, 4-6. to six. Real Madrid, therefore, might be value at 10-3. to three. That's pretty chunky. The draw is 3-1. Real have the meanest defence in La Liga, while Barcelona are decidedly more leaky. So both teams to score here could be worth a sniff, especially if you chuck it in with a result. For instance, Barcelona to win and both teams to score is 9-5, to five, while Real Madrid to win and both teams to score is 11-2. to two. Over to Germany then, and the boys argued about this last week. If Timo Werner is to leave Leipzig, where's he off to next? Well, he was strongly linked to Liverpool, but they've gone shopping at a different Red Bull outfit. So they've slipped back in their bet. And their second favourite to sign Timo Werner at 5-1. to one. Real Madrid, the new favourite to sign him at 4-1. to one. You can get 7s on Man United, 8s on Man City or Tottenham, 12-1 to one on Barcelona or Juventus. And finally, over to France. Kylian Mbappe has been breaking records all over the place. Will he be lifting the Ballon d'Or trophy in 12 months' time? Possibly. You couldn't rule it out, could you? Bad news. He's behind Messi and Ronaldo in our odds for Ballon d'Or 2020. Good news is ahead of teammate Neymar. So that's something. Messi is our favourite for next year's Ballon d'Or because, of course, he is at 7-4. Ronaldo's second favourite. I'm less convinced about this, but what do I know? He's 5-2. Mbappe, 7-2. Neymar's 9-2. Mohamed Salah is 7-1. to 
You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Tony Robertson's got a question for us. It is, if Pep leaves Man City, which club or league is his most likely destination, Rafa? Bayern still believe that they have a s- small chance of that he might go back. back. Yeah, I I personally don't think it's it's realistic, but um, they seem to at least at some level believe that it, it is possible somehow. I don't necessarily see him go to another league or a club. I think um, it's you think he been... might stay in the Premier League. No, no. Oh, you think? Sorry, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, I think it's it's pretty well documented that he might one day feel like taking over a national team but I think the most likely destination is probably New York for another um, sabbatical okay. I think he wants to switch off again if and when he leaves City I think Rafael is right um, he obviously cannot come back to Barcelona if Barcelona president is Bartomeu because uh, there is no need to say that uh, Guardiola's ideas and Bartomeu's football ideas are totally different I think that the fact that he played in Italy could uh, open him uh, a place uh, somewhere, perhaps Juve. Um, but I believe that uh, Guardiola's ultimate dream is playing or coaching in a World Cup. He has said many times that he would like to do that in his coaching career. And uh, he has expressed a few times his interest in the Brazil national team. Really? Yes. Uh, to the point that before Tite was uh, appointed as Brazil manager, uh, there were few rumors, I don't know how true they were, that Pep Guardiola could have been appointed Brazil manager or could at least have been uh, called just to ask about his uh, ideas about getting La Canariña. Extraordinary. All right. Uh, James, Valentin asks, is De Ligt in trouble now that Demerol has started two consecutive games? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, I think when you pay, what, 75 million euro for a player and you make him your second highest paid player at the club um, in terms of uh, add-ons to what he's currently earning as base salary, no, absolutely not. I know Sarri has worked very hard on on Delict and feels that Delict has played a lot of football, more football than they were expecting because I think they wanted him to learn um, at the... Uh, side of Giorgio Chiellini and Giorgio Chiellini after the first game of the season people forget this about Juventus's campaign tore his ACL and yeah faces a race to get back for the European Championships in the summer so I think uh, in some respects it was an acknowledgement of how well Demiral played uh, against Leverkusen everyone's seen the memes um, <laughs> really good um, but I think also Delict, for example I think he he kind of popped his shoulder out against Atalanta mm. And kept playing. Um, so I think it was just time for him to have a bit of a break. But Demiral, I mean, again, just goes to show the depth that uh, Juventus have got. I said the main question mark really is for Daniele Rugani and what he does for his future going into the January transfer window because he played against Leverkusen. He had a bit of a muscle injury um, as he was warming up to come on, I think, at the weekend. Um, but really, game time has been few and far between for someone who you know played and thrived under Sarri in the past at Empoli. But Leverkusen, by the way, in the Europa League draw, have got Porto. What are you excited about, Alvaro, in that uh, in that selection of matches? Well, it's one that perhaps is not very popular elsewhere, right. but Getafe versus Ajax yeah. is a terrific game. Mm. Getafe is fourth in La Liga. They could qualify for Champions League. That wouldn't be crazy to think about. And they are a bunch of... Uh, 
really strong players committed with a manager uh, which resembles uh, Diego Pablo Simeone. Bordalas is the name of the manager. There are some very Bordalas. good players in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are some very good players in Getafe and the likes of uh, Maximovic, Jaime Mata, Jorge Molina and especially Jene de Kunam, one of the best defenders in La Liga. Mm -hmm. I think that they are, I wouldn't say that championship quality, but they could give a really difficult time to any team in Europa League. Ajax, who actually lost this weekend again, 1-0 uh, away at AZ Alkmaar, of course, freshly beaten and knocked out of the Champions League by Valencia midweek. In other Eredivisie news, uh, PSV, who lost 3-1 at Feyenoord, have sacked Mark van Bommel. Right, Rafa, Frankfurt taking on... Red Bull Salzburg. That is actually a pretty exciting game. Mm. Um, well, what's left of Salzburg after the January transfer window? Yeah, well, I mean, you're right to mention that Salzburg will will lose at least one player. I think Minamino's transfer can be taken as as red, a pun not uh, intended, mm. but uh, or per perhaps it was. Um, but there's also Haaland, who we mentioned, uh, who mentioned earlier, who I think is now. Very, very likely to uh, also have his release clause being activated in, in January. They probably won't quite be the same team. Uh, conversely, Frankfurt, there's a lot of talk that Rebic might come back oh. after his not-so-happy spell with uh, Milan uh, for the first six months there. Right. Rafael, what is uh, Haaland's release clause? So it's not official, but it's supposed to be something around 20 million euros, which really is, is almost nothing. Uh, which leaves a lot of money to be made in commissions, of course. Huh. All right. Other Europa League draws include Man United, who themselves think they've got some chances of landing Erling Haaland. Uh, they're taking on uh, Bruges. As a reunion of old friends as Arsenal have drawn Olympiacos. Do you remember that extraordinary time when Olympiacos hadn't had a win in Europe for about 25 matches and then they took on the Gunners and lo and behold, a victory arrived. And you know who was the manager of Olympiacos at the time, James? Who was it, Rafa? Marco Silva. Wow. Uh, Rangers got Braga. Copenhagen will be taking on Celtic. And Wolves have drawn Espanyol. How dangerous a draw is that for Wolves? It doesn't seem to be very dangerous now because Espanyol is uh, bottom of La Liga with only two victories uh, by mid-December. Mm. But they've got good players in there. The likes of Mark Roca or uh, Caleri or even Diego Lopez, the goalkeeper. They can be very competitive. And the good thing about this game is that both teams, they are playing with a 3-5-2 formation or a 3-4-3, if you like. And uh, this is going to uh, be a clash of, of very similar styles. But of course, Wolves has the upper hand because they've got, at the minute, uh, they are in a much better situation than uh, Espanyol. Wolves, uh, they are fighting for championship spot pretty much in, in Premier League. Brilliant. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Many thanks to Alvaro, to Rafa and James and a little bit of Julian Laurent as well for making it such a special experience. Hope you enjoyed it, listener. We're back with another Totally Show on Thursday. One will be joined by Tom Williams, Duncan Alexander and that man, David Priest. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.